I just wanted to do a quick trail for something the Institute for Government's published today, which is our performance tracker here. It has a big chapter on health and social care. But actually, its big message is that one of the problems for the government, and this is a problem before the government lost its majority, was that it was trapped in this reactive cycle of injecting money at the last minute and actually sort of using money as sticking plasters in too many cases rather than actually using it to get reform and actually put services onto a sustainable basis. And I think exactly what Sarah is saying, it looks like that's the highest risk option. Because actually, one of the things that's interesting about minority government is money is what you can do in minority government. You can spend money. That is not difficult. One of your big problems in minority government is you spend money on things you otherwise wouldn't spend money on. So we saw very early on the sort of ambushes that the government suffered over funding abortions for women from Northern Ireland, uh, over the haemophiliac inquiry and things like that. And you can do these things and actually, you know, you can start giving away half a billion here, half a billion there, whatever. And soon those sort of billions start adding up to quite serious money, even in fiscal terms. So money is what you can do. Legislation, as others have said, is what you do absolutely, absolutely, absolutely as a last resort, which is why we saw possibly the weirdest Queen's speech ever for a newly elected government. I remember we had to wait. We had to wait while the deal with the DUP was finally sorted. It was actually a Queen's speech which had two halves. One half was the Brexit legislation. The other half basically was the things that are usually called private member handout bills, which the list of sort of bits of boring business departments want to get done but they can never get any space in any decent legislative programme. So when they find out who's top of the list for private members, they say, would you like to do this legislation on whiplash? It'll be all right, everybody will agree, the government won't oppose. And that's the sort of stuff we saw in the Queen's speech. So it didn't look like a Queen's speech that you would see from a newly elected government. The other thing, and here I'm slightly taking issue with Steve, the key thing about elections is not to box yourself in by what you commit to in elections. We all know we have deeply dishonest conversations in elections. The IFS will tell you that the normal thing you do straight after an election is you raise taxes. You know, that is the pattern. You try not to box yourself in so you're not breaching your commitment, so you won't double VAT, but you put it up from 8 to 15%. That's one of you, for the older people in the room, remembering the first Conservative budget in 1979. Anyway, so we've lost that margin. I think the chance that the Chancellor will be able to do anything serious fiscally on the 22nd of November is more or less gone. I just wanted to give you a brief feel since I'm here as the non-health expert, of what minority government feels like within government. It's actually quite interesting. I've been in governments which have sort of lost their majority for a bit. I was in number 10 actually doing health under the John Major government. Actually, for the civil service, minority government doesn't feel very different. It feels very, very different for parliamentarians. Coalition government was a very strange beast that people had to get used to, quite an interesting beast to get used to. But minority government, you've got ministers of all the same party, the normal sort of processes work. You'll find that the business managers are much more influential or should be much more influential when ministers are deciding what they can do because they're there saying we can't get that through, we can't get that through either, etc. The other thing you find is that your ministers are very preoccupied. Ministers are very tied to the parliamentary estate. Mm -hmm. Ministers have to be there. The pairing arrangements, I think, have still broken down. So everybody is under orders that they are to be nowhere other than in Parliament if there's any risk of an important vote at any time. And that's even with the government sort of not turning up for opposition days, with the exception of Dr. Wollaston yesterday <laughs> on universal credit. So for the civil service, it doesn't actually feel that different. But one 
one of the things that minority does, because of that, because of the constant pressure, because of the constant threat that the government might go down, is that it's a very energy-sapping experience. There's potentially late nights. We don't know yet when the EU withdrawal bill will actually come to its committee stage in Parliament. We were sort of expecting it this week. I think we were sort of expecting it last week. Laura Koonsberg yesterday was saying it's been delayed beyond the recess. When it comes, expect an awful lot of very tired MPs and ministers to be lurking around because although the government's guaranteed eight days, it doesn't seem very many to me, I have to say, it has promised more time if necessary and it has promised a minimum of eight hours in each of those. So Parliament will be sat, there'll be a lot of tired people and that imposes a big, what I think academics call a bandwidth tax on ministers, particularly the most senior ministers. So much space is taken up by thinking about that, managing that, living on knife edge, that the room you have to sit back and think about where do we go to do just disappears. But I would argue that actually, from the point of view of NHS and social care, minority government is in many ways possibly the least of your problems. There's a huge problem, I think, on money. I think one of the things about the election was actually the sort of austerity consensus is now frayed. There was a sort of consensus that there was a sort of game. And I think that's one of the things that makes it quite difficult now to think about the sort of cross-party thing Sarah was talking about. Could you actually do a sort of consensus? If the other side is saying the answer is just to spend loads more money, it's much harder to have a conversation and we actually don't care nearly as much as you did. You're wrong to care about the deficit. Then it's much harder to actually have a sort of proper sort of cross-party engagement. I think it's a shame. I think the government should try. There's some really interesting figures of the pressure on the civil service. Civil service morale generally has been holding up quite well. The Department of Health is the big outlier. Department of Health between 2015 and 2016 saw its engagement index drop by 12%. We will see the figures next year for last year in November. One of the reasons was because they've had a massive redundancy round. Mm. People working in the Department of Health Maybe some moved to NHS England, not quite sure, but they've halved since 2010. So actually there's much less capacity that there was there. Within government, government, some people describe it as being like the Wild West now. Brexit is taking priority. I was at something where John Manzoni, the chief executive of the civil service, was speaking yesterday. He said, well, basically, governments have to do three things. They have to keep the show on the road, do business as usual. They have, have, have to do Brexit, whatever Brexit means. We're still not very clear about that because of this mad process we're in of simultaneously negotiating, legislating and implementing Brexit. Not how you would do it in an ideally planned world, but that's what we've locked ourselves into. And the third thing you do is new stuff because actually there's virtually no room for new stuff. The government has this great thing about we don't want to just be a Brexit government. I think more sensible voices saying actually you really do have to be primarily a Brexit government because you've got no choice about that. But one of the things we see is, I don't know whether any of you noticed in the summer, people in government are now talking about Brexit-affected and non-Brexit-affected departments, frontline Brexit-affected departments, departments like DEFRA, the Business Department, the Home Office, HMRC. There was a call-out in the summer to create a pool of 750 people available from non-DEFRA departments to be redeployed to fill Brexit-created gaps at short notice. So at the moment, Whitehall is in a state of churn, turmoil, people say it's the Wild West out there, moving jobs, so it's all quite a difficult, stable, unstable environment of people under huge pressure to deliver, they're not quite sure what, and ministers distracted, both by the minority government, but also by the 
cabinet infighting. We had an event at the Institute for Government two days ago with a lot of foreign journalists who just said, we just don't know what your government wants, whether there's any possibility of getting cabinet agreement on anything at the moment. It is giving out loads and loads of difficult signals. So it's a very difficult time. The good thing is, if people out there want to just get on and get out with it, the chances of political interference are much, much, much less than they normally would be. So that may be incredibly good news. This is a fantastically excellent time to show that the service can just get on and do it. Uh, and actually, you know, it's the politicians that create the problems. Thank you.